source of strength when I am weak. That takes me through when life is pressing me. I have a source of power from above. I'm covered over by a shield of love. I claim the blood Jesus shed on Calvary. Those precious bloodstains were made there just for me. That's a good song, isn't it? Man, amen. Claiming those bloodstains. We're going to try this mic today. It's been a while. We haven't had this one, and uh, it's been kind of out of commission, but I think we got it figured out. If it goes haywire or crazy, we'll grab the mic again and go after it, but uh, we'll try to get that sound set for you here so you can hear. I like things a little louder than less loud. That's me, okay? I don't like when I'm sitting in an auditorium and somebody starts to open a Bible or rattle pages. I'm distracted by the rattling pages instead of the voice I'm hearing. Okay, so I like it just a little louder than softer. Now, some people say, I don't like it louder like that. Well, I'm the pastor. So anyway, uh, 
That's one area that I'll exert my authority, you know what I'm saying? I, I hope you can hear it. Now, again, we, we're, we're going to do some changing around here in 2020. We're, not a lot, don't misunderstand. We're not like total renovation or anything. Uh, we've done that already. But uh, <clears throat> we're going to take those speakers and we're going to face them out a little bit. We're going to try it. We're going to try to set a couple speakers in the front here so that we can focus more here in the middle and then give a lot of extra focus on the corners because over there it sounds like you're in a tunnel almost. Uh, at times. I've, I've sat over there a few times since I've, and, and it's very difficult to hear. And so we want to try to balance the sound in our auditorium. And so we're going to try a few things along the way in, this year and see if we can't help it a little bit so that the sound's clearer. So we don't even have to turn it up more, just the sound's clearer. You know what I mean? And so uh, a lot of times that's a big factor. So anyway, you pray about that because I want it to be as best it possibly can be. And uh, we just certainly want everyone to be able to hear the truth. Amen. Uh, boy, the world's not telling us the truth, and so if you're going to get it, you're probably going to get it at home where you're sharing it with your family, and here in the house of God where we're sharing it from the pulpit and in our Sunday school classes, and so we want to make sure it's getting out. All right, um, 2020 then. Um, you know, we begin the new year, a lot of times, a number of people at least it seems, make some New Year's resolutions. Now, not everybody's a resolution type person. Not everybody makes New Year's resolutions, but a number of people do. And I was looking up some information concerning New Year's resolutions when I came across a list of resolutions prepared by the Lutheran minister of 65 years by the name of Walter Schudel. And I was intrigued by it. He called them his seven-ups. Seven-ups. And he had these, these seven statements that were included the word up. And... Uh, Again, it has nothing to do with the drink, 7-Up, but it had to do with just 7-Ups, if you will. And uh, they have to do with more attitude, more actions. And again, he passed it a long time ago. And uh, boy, but I, I was intrigued by these 7-Ups. And so honestly today, I think I'm going to share some of those, if not all of them with you. And uh, I had to do a lot of work on them. All he gave me was the 7-Ups. And, and I thought, I wish he'd have given me the whole message but uh, he didn't. Thanks a lot. But anyway, maybe you're lucky he didn't. But anyway, I don't know. I've never heard him preach. But the fact is, is that I took some time to work through that this week. And so I have some things for you. But, you know, a person's mental attitude has, uh, you know, has an unbelievable effect on their, their, their powers, both physically and, and even psychologically. Uh, we, we understand that. The British psychiatrist, uh, J.A. Hadfield, um, he gives striking, a striking illustration on the fact of his mental suggestion on their strength. Like, he's going to suggest some things to people, and he's going to measure their strength. And so he asked three people to submit themselves to test uh, in order to test the effect of mental suggestion on their strength. Um, and, he, and he did that by asking them to hold or to grip a, uh, what's called a dynometer. And, and if you've ever seen a... Um, a uh, hand grip, you know, one of those grips, you know, uh, that, you know, I use them a lot. You can tell my forearms are like Popeye. And, uh, and so uh, if you use those, those grips, uh, that's basically what this dynometer was, except that it, it, it actually measures the pressure that's being exerted by the grip. And so he asked them to hold that and to grip it. Now, here's interestingly enough what he did, though. He, he basically, he, uh, he, first, he said, I'm going to test you under three, three situations or three different types of conditions. And uh, they're normal conditions, but they're different. And so, first of all, was the average grip. It just, okay, right now, go ahead and grip it with all your strength the best you can. And, and, and he said that basically the average grip was about 101 pounds. Then he tested after he had hypnotized them, and he told them that they were very weak. 
So he, it's, it's, it's suggesting now. Again, they're hypnotized, but he's, it's going to their mind. And listen, by the way, I'm just going to tell you the truth. I wouldn't get hypnotized if I were you. But for this very reason, that somebody has control of, of your, your mental state, so to speak. They can suggest something to you. Uh, we need the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to suggest, not, not somebody else. So be very careful with hypnotism. Somebody says, well, I want to stop smoking. I guess if that would be the only thing you'd get out, maybe fine. But can I tell you something? I would like to go around life saying things like, you know, the Lord delivered me from that, Amen. not hypnotism. But anyway, I, okay, so I'm making enemies now. But nonetheless, moving on. So then he puts them under this hypnotism and he says to them, okay, you're very weak. You're really weak. Well, the average grip strength then and, uh, uh, was only 29 pounds. Isn't that something? 29 pounds. <clears throat> but on the other hand, he then turned around and told them that under hypnosis that they were very strong. And you know what the average grip was? 142 pounds. It was over 40 pounds more strength grip uh, or grip strength as a result of the, the uh, mind suggestion that they were strong versus weak or normal. Now, I don't know about you, but that says a lot to me about how important it is that we have the right state of mind. You know, Again, it's important that we have a very positive uh, and a can-do outlook in life. And, and, you know, as believers, how more prevalent should that attitude be? I mean, a child of God, if anybody should have a positive outlook, if anybody ought to be encouraged, it ought to be the believer, right? Well, I want to consider these seven ups for just a moment and, uh, can, and, just, and just give them a little bit of time each because we don't have much time. Seven of those goes, it would have to, we'd have to go really quick, and so we will. But maybe one or more of those will be right for you in 2020. You know, maybe you're not a, a New Year's resolution person. But, but these thoughts, these are, these are pretty good little thoughts. And it's kind of it's cute almost how he did it. So I kind of was intrigued by it. And so let's take a look at these seven ups. And then uh, I'm going to kind of put in a few things, a lot of things actually along the way. Uh, but I think you'll find that they can be helpful to each and every one of us. I really do. 65 years ago, somebody said, you know what, let's try this thing. You know, let's see how this works out. Well, I'm going to kind of bring it back up, resurrect it again a little bit, and see what we can learn today from it. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, that you'd be with us, that you'd meet our needs today. Thank you for your people. Lord, may we, as we enter 2020, as we go forward the rest of this year, have the right spirit and the right attitude. Lord, if there's areas that we need to make resolutions in, probably that would be a good one. (laughs) Lord, there's so many things. I mean, I think about people that have made resolutions about their weight or their eating habits, their, their time with family, things like that. Those are all positive. They're all good. But Lord, if our, our, our head's not on straight, if our mind's not where it belongs, if we don't have the right attitude, none of that's going to really matter in the end. It's going to ultimately fail. Help us, Lord, to be right with you and to be focused on the right things. Bless us now and help us as we consider these seven ups and possibilities of things that we can implement even through the year. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So the first one uh, is this. Um, wake up. Wake up. And, you know, what we're talking about is, and is waking up with the Lord every day. You know, if we're going to have the right attitude, we're going to have the right outlook in life, then we need to be with the right person right off the bat. Take your Bible, look over the book of Psalm chapter 5. The book of Psalms. Notice what it says in verses 1 through 3 there. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 3.
There in chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, the psalmist says, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for unto thee will I pray. My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. Notice again, the psalmist is is directing his prayers to God. The psalmist is reaching out to the Lord early on in the morning. He's waking up and he's getting with the Lord Jesus Christ. So many times if we're not careful, you and I will maybe hit the snooze button over and over again. And before we know it, we have very little time to meet with God before we meet with others. How important is it that we do wake up, that we do take our place with God, that we do begin the day with the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, the psalmist understood how important it was to stay close to Jesus if he wanted to have the right attitude and the right spirit. There's a story that's told about an old farm couple. You've heard it. I heard it years ago, but I'm going to once again bring it back up in honor of 65 years ago. I wasn't around then, by the way. As you can tell, I'm extremely young. The story's told about an old farm couple who were driving along in their pickup when the wife looked over and said, you know, we never sit all snuggled up in the truck like we used to. And the husband looked at her and he said, well, I haven't moved. You know, the steering wheel's still right there, right? I mean, what's the deal here? And you know what? When we discover as a church or as an individual believer that we're not close to God any longer, or we're not as close to God as we once were, guess what? He didn't move. We did. And boy, it's important that we wake up, that we meet with the Lord early on in the day. Not only that, but number two, dress up. Dress up. And someone says, ah, here we go. I'm not talking about that. Remember, we're talking about attitudes. We're talking about our, our position and our, 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 our spirit toward the world and toward others. Hey, put on a smile, would you? I mean, dress up a little bit. I mean, ladies, of course, you know, we know that you got some makeup and you're putting some makeup on. You're trying to cover up certain flaws. Nobody in our church has flaws. But the fact is, is that you use it to do that. And I'm okay with that. And you want to look your very best and that's fine and that's good. But can I tell you, there's nothing that looks better on a person than a smile. The other day we were watching a show, my wife and I, you know, it was Christmas. And so we were watching certain Christmas shows. And I remember telling her, I said, you know what? That girl looks so much prettier when she smiles. And she said, here's what my wife said. Everybody does. And I thought, you're right. They do. Everybody does. I mean, I was looking at this girl and I thought, she's kind of homely. But when she put a smile on, I was like, wow, transformed, changed. Can I tell you that you and I may look a little homely if we're not smiling? Man, we need to dress up a little bit. And you know what? Putting a smile on our face says something about our attitude. Holiday Inn, when they were looking for 500 people to fill positions for a new facility that they were going to uh, begin, they interviewed 5,000 candidates. 5,000 candidates for the 500 positions. So only 10% were going to get the job. Well, the hotel managers interviewing these people excluded all candidates who smiled fewer than four times during the interview. Just told that you're out. If you didn't smile at least four times during the course of the interview, and I'm sure that different interviewers made it a lot harder to smile because they're probably not as funny. But the fact is, is that if you didn't smile at least four times during the interview, you were done. And this applied to people competing for jobs in all categories. Didn't matter what category it was. They said, you know what? If you're not smiling at least four times in this interview, no job. You're out. 
Now, they didn't tell them that, but that was the criteria by which they, they started their search. See, joy ought to be a staple in the Christian life. Joy shouldn't be something that we come across or that we find from time to time in the Christian life. It ought to be something that is common. It's normal. A smile. Because joy ought to be something that's in our life consistently. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, the Bible says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Notice again, love, joy, Love, joy, joy is right in that list of the fruit of the Spirit. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Therefore, let me say this, if that's the case, if joy is a fruit of the Spirit and we do not exhibit joy in our life, then we're probably not what? Filled with the Spirit. And if we're not filled with the Spirit, then we are walking in the flesh. Well, we know that God doesn't want us to walk in the flesh. He wants us to walk in the Spirit. I read about, excuse me, I read that both hummingbird and vulture fly over our nation's deserts. All vultures see, all they see is rotting flesh. That's what a vulture looks for. That's what it sees. Because that's, because that's exactly what they're looking for. Therefore, that's all they see. They're looking for it. They find it. They see it. They thrive on that diet. That's what they eat. But hummingbirds ignore it. They they ignore smelly flesh. Uh, You know, dead animals don't do anything for this particular hummingbird. Instead, they look for the colorful blossoms of desert plants. That's what they look for. Now, the vulture lives on what was. They live on the past. What used to be alive but is now dead. On the other hand, the hummingbird... They look for the colorful blossoms. They, 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 they live on what is. See, they seek new life. They fill themselves with freshness and they fill themselves with life every day. Each bird finds exactly what they're looking for, though. You want to know the truth? We all do. We all find what we're looking for. The truth is, if you want to find the negative, the, you want to find the, 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 the down and out, you want to find something that's not worth smiling about, you'll find it. You, you look around, you'll see negativity, you'll see uh, problems, you'll always be able to point those out real easily if that's what you're looking for. But can I tell you, if you choose to look for the good, you choose to look for the positive, you choose to look for the things that are a blessing, you'll find those too. You'll see them, they'll come to you. Boy, I tell you what, right off the bat, we noted that we need to wake up. We need to dress up, put a smile on our faces. What are you looking for? Because what you're looking for, you'll find. It's a lot easier to smile when you are finding blossoms than dead flesh. Number three, here's another one. Wake up, dress up, shut up. I like this lesson because my wife tells me I'm not allowed to say the word shut up anymore. I guess it's turned into a bad word. At least that's what the media has told us. Can I tell you something? It's a good thing to shut up sometimes. Somebody says, ah, that's pretty rude. Well, it's pretty smart sometimes too. Now you can say it a little bit more tactfully than shut up, but it doesn't fit the seven ups. So the Bible, in no uncertain terms, vilifies the tongue for a good reason, doesn't it? Turn to James chapter 3. 
Turn to James chapter 3. Well, I'll tell you what, if we really want to get down to the brass tacks, we want to get where the rubber meets the road, if we would just shut our mouths, we would have far fewer problems. You Would you agree with that? Everybody's like, not me. <laughs> okay. All right, not you. You're the exception, as we'll read in the Bible. Notice what the Bible says, James chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. The Bible says, if you've controlled or tamed your tongue, you're perfect. Do you know there's only one man that's ever lived that tamed his tongue? That's Jesus. No other person in history has ever tamed the tongue. James chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. I remember being out on a, a, a trip one time. It was a backpack trip with a bunch of youngsters and their, their, their dads or whoever brought them. I particularly took a, a young man that didn't, his daddy had passed away and so he was with me. And, and I remember we went on this backpack trip. There's probably almost 20 of us, 15, 20. And uh, it got to raining, you know, and it was a horrible, horrible uh, environment in that regard. I mean, here you are out trying to camp and it's just pouring the rain. Your tent's flooded with water. Your, everything's soaked. And um, I remember trying to start a fire. And, and there was a couple guys there that were much better at it than me. And we were over there trying to start the fire. I guess they asked me over because you always need somebody that's got, you know, a, a, a big mouth and a lot of hot air. Because you want to blow on the fire to get it started, right? Well, they asked me to do the blowing on the fire. And so nobody thought I had any wisdom. They just thought I had a big uh, big mouth. So anyway, uh, so nonetheless, I got over there and I still remember uh, that, that, that trying to get that little spark, you know, that little spark there, trying to get it lit, <laughs> blowing on that, trying to see it well up. You know how it gets a little brighter, you know, just for a split second, trying to get that to happen. You know what? It didn't take long. Once that thing caught just a little bit, <laughs> fire. It's amazing. Even in the midst of that mess, it was amazing how that fire just took off. And the Bible says, it says, behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. Doesn't take much. Before you know it, it's out of control. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. Where does a horrible, where does a, a corrupt tongue come from? It comes from hell. Think about that the next time you use your mouth to hurt and harm people. Think about the next time you, you attack your wife or your children or those loved ones and family members and you use your tongue to do it. Think about where it's being set on fire from. Think about who you're really yielding yourself to at that moment. See, our words are powerful. I could park there all service and I could park there all year and we would never scratch the surface of the need to control our tongue. Are, they're powerful. You, you, you know, we would often say things like, if you can't say something nice, say nothing. I remember as a little kid hearing that over and over and over again. If you can't say something nice, say nothing. I even created a little poem from it. I created a song for it. I heard it so many times. Our words are powerful. How many reputations have been ruined by the tongue? How many lives have been destroyed by a tongue? How many hearts have been broken because of the tongue? We'd all do well to spend time listening than talking. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 28 says, Even a fool, when he holdeth his peace, is counted wise. And he that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. 
You can be a total fool, and if you'll keep your mouth shut, people will think you're somebody. As soon as you open your mouth, they can tell. That's not judging, by the way. That's observation. Watch your tongue. Don't gossip. Say nice things. Learn to listen. You know, listening's become a lost art to us, hasn't it? Now, again, I I know, let's face it, we live in a very narcissistic culture today. You know, it produces a very selfish and self-centered person. And that's our problem. As a result, we're experiencing a drought in communication today. You you would think that with social media, that, that people would be more encouraged to communicate. The problem is, it does encourage communications to some degree, but not deeper interpersonal relationships. It's superficial. It's only on the surface. Everybody, I love you. You're the best. You're awesome. They don't even know who you are. <laughs> Look at me. <laughs> I have 20,000 likes. Uh, but you're not communicating really with anybody. I guarantee you they won't be at your funeral. I mean, who are you kidding? Our, our relationships are so shallow today. Now, we're, we're interacting maybe, we're, we're, com- we're communicating in the sense that we're maybe information's being passed, but there's no real deep interpersonal relationships being established. And can I tell you one reason why that's happening? Because we're all a little bit self-centered. Because in our culture in which we live, we're taught about it's all me, it's all mine, it's all about this. And therefore, we don't take time to really listen to people because we think we have so much to say. Everything I eat and everything I do and everywhere I go is important to people. Really? You believe that? That's just evidence, again, of our narcissistic attitude and societal influence. <laughs> I, feel like this, I feel like I just stuck a pin in somebody's bubble. <laughs> I'm melting. Remember how on the, the Wicked Witch of the West, you know, or the East or whatever it was there at the beginning? <laughs> I'm melting. <laughs> I don't know why I was thinking about that. But anyway, most people believe that they are good listeners. Yep, most would. If I, if I pulled the whole crowd and I said, are you a good listener? I bet you 80 to 90% would say, I, I'm a good listener, yeah. Well, very few are really good listeners. By the way, if you're a good listener, you'll never want for friends. Never. People are always looking for somebody that will listen to them and not talk at them. Are you that person that jumps into a car and everybody else listens to you? Are you that person that sits around a table when people are supposed to be talking and you're the one that's talking? You always answer every question. You're always the one that's jumping in the middle of everything. You never give other people an opportunity to share. That's a little more common than you might imagine. But I promise you, if you're that person that listens, everybody's like, oh, he or she's so nice. I love them. You want to know why? Because it's never about them. It's always about you. That's why you say that about them. It's been said the greatest duty of love is to listen. So in 2020, shut up. (laughs) 
I, I thought I'd get it in while I can because it's part of the message. Okay, so moving on. So we see here, he, he says, first of all, wake up, dress up, shut up. <laughs> Remember your dad and mom telling you that? In the day, you know what? It, it never scarred me, really. It, I've been fine. It never, never a problem at all. <sighs> Stand up. <laughs> Stand up. Here's a good one. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. Stand up. I got this New Year's resolution that I'm only going to preach between 20 and 30 minutes. I got a feeling I'm going to break it already. No. <laughs> we'll see where it goes. Okay, so stand up. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 through 14. That's what the Bible says here. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore. Man, I'm going to tell you something. We need to stand up. Stand up for what we believe. We need to resist evil. We need to do good. We need to be right. Well, how many times do we cower to the world's ideology, their perspective? We, we give in. We know what they're saying, and we know what's being promoted in the world and in the culture we live is not aligning itself with God and His Word, but we just keep silent. We just shut up when we should be standing up. Isn't it sad? We'll speak out about things or we'll continue to talk about things that are of no value or significance. But when it comes to things that matter, we're silent. Well, we need to stand up for right. We need to do what's right and be right. Boy, stand up. It's been said, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. Let me say that again. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. And boy, I'll tell you what, it seems to me in the culture we live in, in the society that we live in, the world that we live in, good men and good women, the ones that should be voicing their position and their view based on the Word of God, are being silenced. You say, well, you can't do nothing about it. You can in your home. You can in your school system. You can in your, with your government. You can voice your opinion. You can share your position. You can tell them what God's word says. We have a right to do that. You can stand and preach on a street corner. You can go door knocking and tell people what the word of God says. You're able to do all of those things. We have those liberties. We have those freedoms. And may I say those freedoms are not given to us by our government. They're given to us by our God. Someone says, yeah, but you'd go to jail if the government didn't support that. I know, but as long as God supports it, we're okay. So he says, ah, you shouldn't be going against your government. Uh, well, we're not. We comply with the governmental laws. We, we follow the tax rules and we follow the, the laws on the streets. We, we follow the laws that are given to us in our, to, to maintain order in our culture and our society. But when they start telling us that we can't do things that God commands us to do, my friend, let God be true but every man a liar. Are we to obey God or man? Now listen, be careful with that one. It's funny how Christians can be. Let me just be honest. Consistency is everything in the Christian life. So don't all of a sudden get holy because there's a law that the government passes that you don't believe in or you don't want to follow. And it's just convenient not to follow it now because you're a Christian when you have not stood up in other times when it went contrary to the word of God. 
Don't you play that game where you pick and choose what you're going to stand up for. Either you're going to stand for Christ all the time or you ain't going to stand at all then. Don't be picking and choosing. Daniel, whenever they said that he couldn't pray anymore, he couldn't bow down to anybody but that idol, he still bowed down. Why? Because he'd been doing it all along. If Daniel, in my opinion, would have decided, you know what, since I'm not allowed to pray like I want to, and I don't really pray often, but I'm just going to hold that. The government can't tell me what to do. I have a right religiously to do what I want to do. I have a right to appease my own conscience, to to, to, to worship the God of my choice. I'm going to bow down now, and I'm going to confront the government. I thought, David, you're a hypocrite. David wasn't like, not David, Daniel. Daniel, the fact is, is that Daniel was doing that ahead of time. He had already been praying. He did nothing different the day before the decree or the day after. He did the exact same thing he'd been doing. You know what the result was? God took care of him. Don't be a martyr only when it's convenient. I don't know where all that's coming from, but it's time to stand up and it's time to move on. So anyway, we've seen here already now, we've seen wake up. Dress up, shut up, stand up. The next one's look up. Look up. Turn your view to Acts chapter 1, verses 10 through 11. Boy, in 2020, we need to be very cognitive of the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back. We need to be aware of that. We need to be very, it needs to be on the forefront of our mind continually. In Luke chapter 21, 28, you keep turning to Acts 1. It says, and when these things begin to come to pass, then look up. And lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming back. And notice what he said in Acts 1.10 when he, he uh, when he went back to be with the Lord. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, so the, it says, Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Oh, he's coming back. When he comes back, he's coming back on a cloud, just like he left. He's coming back. And the Bible says in Matthew 24, 44, Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. You know how you keep from being surprised? You have to make sure you're still looking up. See, the, the, the difficulty for us is we get to looking on a horizontal plane. We see things right here, from here to here. That's how we look. That's how we observe. Unfortunately, that's called the flesh. We're walking by sight, not by faith. Faith looks up. Amen. Faith trusts God to take care of what's going on down here while we focus on what's going on up there. Sadly, as believers, too often we're horizontally focused. We need to be vertically focused. That's why we need to look up. We're not only to look up in anticipation of his soon return, but we're to also keep our eyes and our hearts heaven-bound always. Over in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, turn there, would you? Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 2. Again, we're supposed to be looking for the return of Christ. He's coming in those clouds. But also in our daily walk, we need to keep that, that, that vertical focus. Not horizontal, vertical Notice what it says here in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, 
Watch this now. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Notice again, we are to look unto Jesus. Well, I don't know about you, but I haven't found him on earth lately, at least it's not physically. Do you know where he's seated? In heaven. We're to keep our eye on the sky. We're to be looking for his soon return, but we're also to be focusing on him in the sense of our our spiritual health. And we got to be careful we don't get so earthly minded that we forget about God and heaven and everything eternal. It's so easy to lose sight of eternity in the present world we live in. See, that's the horizontal outlook. And most Christians never get past the horizontal. All we see is what is right now. We make our decisions based on what is right now. We have our ideology and our thinking based on what is right now. When God wants us to base everything we do, say, think on eternity. Totally different attitude. A vertical versus a horizontal. Got to look up. Focus our attention vertically, not horizontally. So we we noted already that we are to wake up, dress up, shut up, stand up, look up. How about this one? Reach up. Reach up. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, would you please? 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. We're doing pretty good. Moving right along. We're almost done, really. We are. Reach up. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. There in Timothy, the Bible says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere. Watch this now. Lifting up what? Holy hands. 1 Timothy 2, 8. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Now, I want to ask you real quick. Can you hold your hands up for me, please? Hold them up, would you? Can I ask you this? Are your hands holy? Are those hands holy? Have they touched only the right things? Have they done only the right things? Can you put them down? Do you know that that's not talking about these hands? You know whose hands it's talking about? The inner man. The spirit man. The God man. Jesus Christ in us in the person of the Holy Ghost. Reaching out to God, that spiritual person in us, that, that, that new creature that was created in Christ, reaching out, begging God, spiritually reaching up. You don't have to lift up physical hands to reach out to God and pray. You're lifting up spiritual hands, that inner man. And by the way, ladies, I want to just encourage you by saying that in every one of us, there's a man. The man, Christ Jesus. Lifting up holy hands. Boy, that's talking about praying then. We know according to the Apostle Paul that no good thing dwelleth in this flesh, he said. No good thing. So holy hands are not the flesh and blood hands that we think about so often. They're that spiritual hands of the inward man. Boy, spend time praying. Reach up to heaven. What a privilege we have to pray. What a privilege. The Bible says, let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Come boldly to the throne of grace. You know, I find it hard to go to my dad when I was younger. 
when I wasn't obeying him like I should or if I knew there was something in my life that didn't agree with. And I was a pretty good kid overall, but I made some stupid mistakes. I've done some dumb things like every one of us. But when I was in the midst of doing some things that I knew I shouldn't have done, I, I'll tell you what, I didn't go to my dad and say, hey, dad, by the way, would you buy me a car? I didn't do that anyway because I knew the answer. But, I mean, I wouldn't ask him for certain things. I, I, I would have never thought to go to my dad when there was friction between me and him, when there was a, a conflict in our relationship, when I wasn't aligning myself up with what he wanted for me. If I knew for a fact that he was displeased with me, I was not going to go ask him for something at that point. Can I tell you, I believe there's a lot of believers today that don't go to the Lord in prayer because they know there's something in their life that he doesn't want or isn't pleased with. I'm that person that used to say and still does to some degree, you know, um, if I'm going to sin, I'm not going to church. I'm not going to be a hypocrite. If I'm going to go out and live in the world, then don't, I'm not going to go to church and sit in church, listen to preach and try to pretend that I'm good or something. That was me. You know what, though? There's a flaw in that. You know what the flaw is? The flaw is I ought to be smart enough to change. I mean, why would I want to live in a, a hypocritical life? Why would I want to be in that position when I know every good gift and every perfect gift cometh from the Father of lights? If I want anything good in life, I've got to make sure I'm right with God then. If I want the best that uh, the world has to offer and the best that God has to offer in a sense, He created the world, so if I want the best, I need to go to God and trust Him with it. And get your life right with God. Get your heart right with God. We need to get right with God so that we can enter into His presence without guilt. So that we can go boldly. In its early days, the, uh, Dallas Theological Seminary was in a critical need of about $10,000. Now again, this was years and years ago. $10,000 was a lot more then than it is now. But it was very early on in Dallas Theological Seminary history. And they needed 10000 to keep the work going. During a particular prayer meeting there, the renowned Bible teacher, Harry Ironside, a lecturer at the school, he prayed and he said, Lord... You own the cattle on a thousand hills. Please sell some of those cattle to help us meet this need. Shortly after the prayer meeting, a check for $10,000 arrived at the school. It had been sent days earlier by a friend who had no idea of the urgent need or, the, or even of Ironside's prayer at all. The man simply said this, The money came from the sale of some of my cattle. Isn't that something? <laughs> you say, oh, that didn't happen. Whatever. I believe it happened. I've watched God do crazier things in my life. Then I'm going to tell you what. God answers prayer, and we've got to reach up to God. <laughs> That's good. And finally, finally lift up. Lift up. You say, what are you talking about? Well, I think what, what I get from that is, we need to be available to help those that are in need. We need to serve. We need to support others. We need to share with people. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 12 says, Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. <laughs> you know? And those people that are just so down. I'm not talking about you that are older. Or me right now. Man, my back was hurting so bad I walked like that the other day, it seemed like. Have you ever been there, though, that your spirit is so down you don't even feel like getting out of bed? You're so feeble, so tired, so wore out. You don't look forward to life. 
Sometimes you might even think that you'd be better off if you didn't live. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Boy, give yourself to serving the Lord and others. Don't, 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 don't use all the time and all the gifts that God has given you for you and yours. There's so many other people that are in need today. Well, we need to be cognitive. We need to be aware. We need to be very aware of what's going on in the lives of others. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Boy, there's a reward day coming. There's the judgment seat of Christ. Let me tell you, you're not going to be serving the Lord in vain. You're not going to give your best to Christ and get nothing in return. You say, well, that shouldn't be my motivation. It may not be your motivation 100%, but God said it ought to be something you consider. He's the one that talks about the fact that there'll be rewards one day. You want to know why I think God does that? Because he realizes in this life that's the only thing we know. And he wants to identify with us. He wants to be able to motivate us in a way that's practical. I guarantee if I told you today, uh, you know what? You're doing this particular job. You're making this much an hour. You're making $15 an hour over here, working at this place, doing that job. If you'll just move from that particular company to this one, you'll do the exact same job, have no more problems, no more responsibilities, and make $30 an hour. Let me ask you, would you be motivated to check that one out? See, you understand that. And God knew you would. And he wants you to realize you can go and squander your time, your money, your talents on the things of this world. But he wants you to understand you can double your return if you'll just serve me. He wants you, because you understand that and so do I. I think God puts it in there for our own, own behalf. Boy, lift up. So wake up, dress up, shut up, stand up, look up, reach up, lift up. Pastor Stephen Brown, he taught swimming and diving for a number of years. He tells about a young, a young fellow, a young boy actually named Billy. Billy had watched so many professional divers and he wanted so much to dive like them that he refused to take time to learn the basics. Time after time, Brown tried to help Billy see that the most important thing about diving was to keep his head in the proper position. See, if the head is centered in the water properly, Brown explained, the rest of the body would enter the water properly, at least more properly than it had been. But Billy, Billy would dive into the pool, do a belly flop almost, it would seem. He'd come up grinning and say, Mr. Brown, were my feet together? (laughs) Billy, I don't care whether your feet were together or not. Make sure your head's straight, then everything else will work out. The next time, Billy would stand on the edge of the pool and really concentrate. And then he would, he, would, he would dive and once again make a mess of it. Mr. Brown, were my hands together? Were my feet close? Were they, were they together? Billy, Billy, I'm going to get you a neck brace and weld it onto your head for the hundredth time. If your head is right, the rest of you will be right. If your head is wrong, the rest of you will be wrong. Isn't that true in life? Boy, if our head's wrong, our marriages are going to suffer. 
If, if our heads aren't right, if they're not straight, if they're not going the right way, the right direction, then listen, our families are going to suffer. Our, our children will suffer. Our ministries suffer. Our churches suffer. Our nation suffers. Our world suffers. We've got to get our heads straight. Our attitudes and our outlooks are all messed up so many times. And then we wonder why we're going the wrong direction. We wonder why we end up somewhere where we didn't want to be. Because our heads aren't straight. It begins, first of all, by getting in alignment with the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. Do you know Him as your Lord and Savior? Do you realize that you're just a sinner, that Jesus Christ came and He lived the perfect sinless life? He died on a cross. He shed His precious blood. He rose again the third day. Not because he just wanted to do it. Not because it was convenient for him or was it comfortable. No, not at all. He did it because that's the only way that you could come to salvation. It's the only way your sin can be dealt with. It's the only way that you can abandon the consequences of sin and embrace heaven and eternal life. It's the only way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You better get your head straight in that area. You better realize and recognize there is no other way. There's no other person. There's no other direction. It's all Jesus or nothing. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, won't you come? Won't you allow someone to take the Word of God, these precious promises, and show you how Jesus Christ can forgive you, save you, and come into your life and change not only your life today, but your eternal destination? And then for the believer... I wonder, are you aligned with him and his word? Is your head straight today? I mean, we just talked a little bit about some of these issues here. We, 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 we noted that we need to wake up, dress up, shut up, stand up, look up, reach up, lift up. Are you doing those things? Is there room for improvement in 2020? Let's take the time to get our heads straight. What's your attitude toward this book? What place does it play in your life? What priority do you give God's house? Where does Jesus stand in your home? How important do your children believe Christ is to you and your wife? Get your head straight. If you'll get the head straight, everything else will begin to work out. But if your head's not straight, I don't care how hard you try to keep the feet together, the hands proper, you're going to always end up wrong. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, that you'd just help us, that you'd work in our lives, that, Father, you'd speak to our hearts. Lord, we are in desperate need of your influence and your impact in our life. We need you to, to move us and to, to make us and to mold us. We pray as we kick off 2020 that we'd get our heads straight, that we would focus on those things that are most important, that we'd make priorities what you say are priorities. Lord, there may be a child a person, a creation of yours that's here that's not a child of yours because they haven't received and accepted Jesus. Father, I pray, Lord, that they would demonstrate faith. You said we're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. May they exercise faith in your son and by doing so they'll become your child. We don't want to see them pay for their own sin. You came and paid for it. You didn't come just to be a good example. You came because people can't get to heaven without it, without you. We can't have our sin forgiven without you and your sacrifice. 
May if there be any that are without Christ today, may they settle it before they leave. And for us believers, Lord, may we get our head on straight for the sake of our own lives, for the sake of our marriages, for the sake of our families, our churches, and our country, our world. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our